You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. John is speaking here about is a culture, an attitude, a thought, doctrines that are opposed to God. It's a lifestyle that is directly opposite to the things of God in Jesus Christ. And as I said, it's not so much of an activity as it is an attitude. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Love of the world affects your love for God. Love of the world affects your response to Him. Love of the world affects your ability to do His will. Can we really multitask effectively? While some are better than others, we often end up performing those tasks worse because we lose focus. Pastor Dave shares that this is also true when it comes to our relationship with God versus the world. And God instructs us to choose and serve Him over the world. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, Love Not the World. One John chapter two, specifically verses fifteen through seventeen. Fifteen through seventeen, as we continue to make our way through this really exciting book about the real life that we have in Jesus Christ. First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to these scriptures, these powerful scriptures about how you want us to be separate from the world, how you don't want us to love the world. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive those things that you want to speak to us about this today. Lord, we look to these passages and they seem difficult and we don't maybe understand all that's in them, Lord. But you've written them for a reason and you had the Apostle John, led by your Spirit, to pen these words, to give us encouragement, to give us lessons in your love, and Lord, he writes these as a command. So Lord, help us, Lord, to be obedient to what you have called us to. Help us, Lord, to be surrendered, as we just sang, to all you are, because you have given us all in you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Thessalonica, he had a purpose, and he wanted them to realize that, that they were to be different from the Roman culture that existed that day. A culture, mind you, that was marked by extreme sexual immorality. And he writes these words 
In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll read them for you. The Apostle Paul writes this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul was telling the Thessalonians that because Jesus Christ was now their life, and their life was hid in Jesus Christ, they were supposed to be different than the world around them. They were supposed to stand out and be recognized as different than the world in which they lived. In this passage, Paul uses a big word, sanctification. It's kind of a, one of those religious-sounding words that we use all the time, but not many people know what it means. In its basic form, in its basic form, in the root word of being sanctified, and this means simply to be set apart. To sanctify is to set apart. Sanctification in scriptures means the act of being set apart from all else. The act of being set apart from all else and being dedicated to God. To be used according to his will. Let me give you an example. When Solomon was given the instructions by the Lord to build the temple, these were specific instructions. And each piece that Solomon was to fashion, each vessel that he was to place in this temple had a specific purpose. And it was to be used for that purpose and that purpose only. It wasn't to be used for anything else. These pieces were sanctified to God. They were sanctified and were set apart for this use. This is what sanctification means for us. That we might be set apart from what? The world. Freed from the world's influences in order that we can be committed to God, dedicated to God, and serve him and him alone. So that we would know that we belong to God and him only. And that we are pliable in his hands. God wants us to be separate from the world. It is his desire that we don't love the world nor the things of the world. And that we should stand against evil. But first we need to clarify one thing before we move any further. What is meant by the world? What is John meaning here by the world? Well, there are three different meanings in the Bible for the word world. The first one is earth, God's creation. Acts 17, 24 says God made the world and everything in it. The second meaning, us, human beings. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The third reason is that which John is speaking about today in our verses today. The third reason of the, or the third meaning of the word world is a spiritual system that is opposed to everything God and Jesus Christ. And that's what John is speaking about here. And he begins in verse 15a by saying, do not love the world or the things of this world. 
So John now gives us this warning, and it comes in the form of a command. Do not love the world. It's a negative. Do not love the world. And as we just talked about, it's not the world of nature or the world of men. We should enjoy God's creation. And it's a beautiful creation when you take time to stop and enjoy it and look at it for what it is, God's created being. We're also called to love people. We're to love other human beings as Christ has loved us. John spoke about this. The world John is speaking here about is a culture, an attitude, a thought, doctrines that are opposed to God. It's a lifestyle that is directly opposite to the things of God in Jesus Christ. And as I said, it's not so much of an activity as it is an attitude. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Love of the world affects your love for God. Love of the world affects your response to him. Love of the world affects your ability to do his will. In fact, if you would look up the definition of worldliness, it is anything in our lives that causes us to lose the enjoyment of God's great love for us. Anything that we replace God's love with. Therefore, we should not love the world. In other words, don't love the world's corrupt value system. And your first question might be, why? Well, because of the prince of the world, the one who is now ruler of the world right now, Satan. Two times in scripture, Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world. Paul spoke of him as the God of this world in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So Paul is saying, this is the world here. This value system that is contrary to God. We're not to love. We're not to love this world. John's pretty clear. I mean, he doesn't mix many words. The world, this invisible spiritual system led by Satan, actually is our enemy. It is our enemy because it is opposed to the things of God. It's all that is opposite of godly, holy, and spiritual. We have to remember what John's purpose here is. Remember, John wants you, the Christian, to be assured of salvation. He wants us to have assurance that we are saved. Have assurance that we are going to heaven. Have assurance that we are walking with the Lord. So he's putting all these things out there and letting us know, don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light. Love your brother. Don't hate your brother. Those kind of things. He's putting those things out there. Now he says, don't love the world. Why, John? Well, there's a difference here. And there's a danger in loving the world. Let's go all the way back to chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 15b. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. So my love for the world might be telling me that I'm not in love with the Father or the love of the Father is not in me. Look at it again. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
In Matthew's gospel, in chapter 6, in verse 34, or excuse me, 24, Jesus said this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Notice, he didn't say, you should not serve. He says, you cannot serve. You cannot. Mammon is, of course, all that is worldly. The materialistic things of the world. All the things that the world has to offer materially. It's the monetary system of the world. You can't serve them both. Why? Because one has to give way to the other. And this is what John is saying here. And these are strong words. Simply put, the love of the world is incompatible with the love of the Father. Therefore, John makes this bold statement to you. If you claim to love God and yet still love the world, there's something wrong with your claim to love God. Oh, John. And if you're in this position where you claim to love God, but you really love the world, you're deceiving yourself. Yo, John, cool your jets, pal. Wow. Coming at us pretty hard here. But remember, John's explaining to us what the real life looks like in Jesus Christ. The reality of our lives is Jesus Christ. And in him, we're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to love this culture, this system that that is diabolical and that comes against the Lord. We're not supposed to love that or be a part of it. So John's going to say, okay, let me continue here, and I'm going to show you three different traps that you can fall into when you're loving the world. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. He points these out. Notice the things that he talks about are not of the Father. They're not from God. They are not coming from God. They are coming from the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're coming from the world. And this is how the world expresses itself. This is exactly what Satan's systems promotes. It promotes the lust of the flesh. It promotes the lust of the eye. And it promotes boastful pride of life. Think about it. You probably cannot even imagine a sin that doesn't include one of these three evils. All sin is wrapped up in one of these three evils. So let's look at them one at a time here. First of all, he says the lust of the flesh. Now, in the dictionary, lust is defined as strong sexual desire. But it can be much, much more than that. Much, much more than that. It can be any craving that you might have for something, anything that you desire, that you really want for. In fact, the Greek word used here for lust means longing for something that's forbidden. And first of all, let me also tell you what we're not talking about when I say flesh. I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about the skin, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our old fallen nature. Paul calls it the old man. The old fallen nature. The lust mentioned here is that which seeks to satisfy our fleshly desires, our fleshly cravings. And the list of the flesh is anything that appeals to your fallen nature. And these desires can control our lives. They cloud our judgment. They destroy our value system. They give us a false sense of reality. And you know what they are. They're everywhere. 
There are so many things that appeal to our flesh, things that entice us, things that eventually draw us away from God. Throughout Scripture, we read that when the flesh is mentioned, it's always in the negative light. It's always in the negative light. In John 6, 63, we're told that the flesh profits nothing. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh in Philippians 3. And then he says, make no provision for the flesh in Romans 13. Living for the flesh is not living a life that is real. So we have the lust of the flesh. Then we have the lust of the eyes. Whereas the lust of the flesh appealed to the appetites of the old nature, the lust of the eyes appeals in more of a refined way. It's a little bit more subtle. They often said that the eyes are a gateway to the mind. It's often been said that. So these pleasures seek to satisfy and gratify the mind. The obvious one is what Jesus said when you look after a woman and lust for her, you've committed adultery just by looking. We often look at other things with strong desire, material possessions. I don't know if you've heard me around Christmas time, but I'll say it again because I like to repeat myself a million times. The worst commercial on TV is the husband takes his wife out to see her brand new car with the red ribbon on it. And as she's looking at it, the car that they're trying to get you to buy comes around the corner and she goes, ah, ah, forgetting all about this beautiful car that her husband just bought her because she wants that brand new one there. Eyes, tell you something, it's a craving. We got to have the latest fad. I got to have the latest phone. I got to have the latest computer. I got to have the latest TV. I got to have the latest this, the latest that. I got to have it. Lust of the eyes. If you have your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Interesting story in Joshua verse 7. Excuse me, in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, there's a man named Achan. And Joshua and his gang of Israelites went against the city of Ai. And the first time they went against the city of Ai, after they had destroyed Jericho, they went against Ai and were completely, had their butts kicked. Completely. They couldn't understand why they were beaten. If God was on their side, why would we be beaten? But God told Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Somebody in the camp sinned. So Joshua lines up the entire group, and he starts counting them out. And it fell upon Achan, this man named Achan. And he asked them, what did you do? Listen to what Achan's reply was in chapter 7, verse 21. Achan says, or I'll start with 20. Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them, and they were hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Lust of the eyes. He had to have it. It was there for the taking, and he wanted it. And if you know the rest of the story, it cost him dearly because he and his family were taken out, and they were stoned to death. Lust of the eyes could also be intellectual pursuits. Lust of the eye can be intellectual pursuits, which are contrary to God's word. Look at Psalm 1, the counsel of the ungodly. Intellectual pursuits. Now, 
You're talking to an ex-school teacher, so education is important to me. Learning is good, but we cannot allow intellectualism to crowd the word of God into the background. And this is what's happening in today's schools. God is being pushed completely out. And all this intellectualism and this philosophical things are coming about. Causes. I'm for this cause. I'm for that cause. This intellectual idea of a cause is the lust of the eyes. Because it's contrary to the will of God. Contrary totally. Then there's the pride of life. God's glory is rich and full. Man's glory is vain and empty. And the Greek word here used for pride describes a braggart who was always trying to impress people by his importance. Have I told you how important I am lately? Let me tell you for a while how important I am lately. And when it comes your turn to talk, you can tell me how important I am. (laughs) Pride of life is my desire to be known by men, to be praised by men. I want to be like God, to receive praise from men. I want to desire to be worshipped. And some people even sacrifice honesty and integrity to make an impression. To make an impression to get you to think they're okay. These three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are areas of Satan attacks. And he attacks us in these all the time. All you have to do is turn on the TV. My goodness, the attacks are ever coming towards you. I don't know about you. But all I have to do is do one little search on my computer for something. And then every time I turn on something else, that flashes in my screen. Constantly. Constantly. Think about it. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Hmm. I'm here to tell you, folks, that there's nothing new under the sun. Because several thousands of years ago, There was this beautiful, wonderful garden, and God placed two people in there. One was named Adam, and his wife's name was Eve. And Satan came along one day as a serpent and enticed Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had told them not to eat of that tree, and if they ate of that tree, they will surely die. And Satan said, has God really said that you'll die? And Eve looked at the tree. It says in Genesis 3, 6. And the tree was beautiful to look upon, lust of the eye. She tasted the apple, and it was luscious for food. It was present to eat, lust of the flesh. And if she ate it, she would become like God, pride of life. Has anything changed? Same is happening today. It is still rampant today. The world loves sin. It applauds it. How do I know? Just take a look at Hollywood. Hollywood encourages us to envy sinners and to foolishly compare ourselves with them. Oh, they're the beautiful people. I need to be like that. The popularity of the stars is due to their ability to stir up in you and stir up in me some dissatisfaction that is in our lives. Oh, I want to be like that. I need that. I have to have that. You are assured. Our time with you has come to an end today on A Sure Hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 1 John 
In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more information. Perhaps you prefer email. If so, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 John. We look forward to the next time as Pastor Dave will share more things that God has put on his heart from this New Testament letter. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and be reminded of God and that He is a sure hope.